Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to that Gabby Roslin podcast. My lovely guest this week is another person with funny bones. It's the brilliantly talented actor, comedian and author Ben Miller. He shares with me some amazing stories. We chat about experiencing weightlessness and wanting to go to the moon and writing his excellent children's books. This supremely intelligent man has both a science degree and a PhD in physics from Cambridge and he tells the wonderful story of how he got into the famous footlights. Plus, his brilliant working relationship with Alexander Armstrong and how he regularly gets mistaken for Rob Brydon. Enjoy. Please, can I ask you a favour? Would you mind, please, following and subscribing, please, by pressing the follow or subscribe buttons, please? This is completely and utterly free, by the way. And then you can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. Simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes and you'll see the stars where you can tap and rate. And also, please write a review. Thank you so much. How many places was that? Probably too many, but please, thank you. to let you into a rather embarrassing secret okay so here we go i dreamt about you last night would you like to know my dream yes i would um i would like to know first of all where the dream was set in morocco ah well that's interesting that yes, is because that's where you've just come back from yes yeah. i've just come back from there. yeah yeah, well, because I was doing all of my reading and my researching before I went to sleep last night, I dreamt that I came to see you in Morocco <laughs> and you taught me how to fill up a helium balloon yeah. with a tagine. Yeah, that that makes complete sense. Uh, that makes complete sense. I think, what did we, did we use the helium balloon to, what did we do then? Was it like, as a helium balloon as in... Um, you know, just the sort of thing you get at a party, that kind of thing. Well, it was huge. It was massive. It was huge, but it, but it was it was all it was inflated, but it had this massive big hole at the end, and the air wasn't coming out of it. And you said, "This is how to cook a tagine." You put it in there, and then Abraham Lincoln came to eat it. Now that's now that is a brilliant mishmash of um, what I life. what I like there. What your subconscious has done there is basically taking the three facts you've learned about me and juggled them in the air all night. Um, yes. That's, that's, that's fascinating because, yes, I, I have a big connection with Morocco and, in fact, therefore with tagines. Um, helium, that would be the science because I used to do experiments with helium when I did my PhD. Helium is the, um, when you liquefy helium, it's the, best, it's, it's the best way to get things to the lowest temperatures known on Earth, basically, is to... Well, I'm not going into too much detail, but basically... No, please do. Well, basically, you use liquid helium. You use a mixture of helium-3 and helium-4, and you pump off the vapour, and the liquid helium-3, helium-3, helium-4, goes to some of the lowest temperatures on the planet, so you can get to tens of thousands of a degree above absolute zero. Uh, Absolute zero being the lowest temperature anything can possibly have, where it's essentially got um, no free energy. So, yeah. Uh, that's good. So you've taken the helium bit of that. I'm not, sure, not yes. entirely sure with the balloon. 
Exactly sure where the balloon comes from. No, because I think I I read something about when you did a kids show, you had did an experiment with balloons. They did. Oh yes. Yeah. So um, because I love science, I went on um, the Sky at Night with um, with my friend Brian Cox, um, and he <laughs> decided that I was going to experience what it would be like to be weightless on the moon. Um, so I, th- I think, off the top of my head, I think it's something like an eighth or a tenth of the gravity it is on, on Earth. So the way they did that was they tied lots of helium balloons to me. And I was literally floating. You know when you see those uh, <gasps> pictures of the astronauts bouncing, like taking those long, loping steps? Was it like that? Oh, it was amazing. It's the most incredible feeling to, yeah, experience low gravity. Yeah, which which I sort of, which I basically did. I was just had lots of helium balloons tied to me until I was... Um, Let's say, for argument's sake, an eighth of my weight, if that is what the, um, if that is what. Well, it is so how did how many balloons were there? I, I know I mean, you're not terribly a lot heavy, of balloon, but a lot of balloons. Yeah, I mean, a lot of oh, balloons. Oh my word! A lot of balloons. I would say, I would say fifty balloons. There's a lot of balloons. There's a lot of balloons. But the best bits of that show, the best bits of that show, weren't films, which was which was them trying to get me. Because of course, they, to begin with, they put on too many balloons. You start floating off, and then there's yeah. I mean, it's just. <laughs> It was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Yes. And also, I when I when they got the right number of balloons, you know, and I was about an eighth of my weight, I just, I got quite giddy. You know, like you see the astronauts go giddy. That, yeah. That is not just them. What I realised, that is not just them experiencing weightlessness. You experience a very strange kind of joy when you're suddenly relieved of all your weight. You know, we're just, we struggle under this sort of... Um, you know, we struggle under this enormous gravitational pressure. You know, we've got this, we just, you know, we're stuck basically to the surface of the earth, aren't we? We don't really think about it, but we can't, we can't leave. We're just rammed down to the surface of the earth by gravity. And suddenly when you don't have that holding you down and you can just jump as high as you like and you can go straight. Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I just went bouncing off across. It was at Jodrell Bank. And I just went bouncing off across the field. Just absolutely oh, cock-a-hoo. wow. I mean, and uh, I was having the, of uh, course, you know, then you have the, the producer sort of screaming in your ear that you're going to, you know, health and safety, health and safety, get back here. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to, you know. So unfortunately, that bit wasn't on camera, but that was the most fun. I mean, can you imagine? Not to be weightless. No, I can't. It's, it's, well, so, uh, neither can I. I'm supposed to What does it. it feel like? It feels like you, you know, you know that is emotion. It's emotional, I suppose. It's that thing where you suddenly, suddenly you've been worrying about something, and you realise you don't have to worry about it anymore, and you get that sort of emotion. You feel like a weight has been lifted from your shoulders. We say that, don't we? Well, it it is like it's very emotional. You suddenly feel very joyful and free and released for just a <gasps> moment from. From gravity, released from your gravitational obligations. And off you go, bouncing across whatever field happens to be in front of you or or jumping over people, as I did. I decided to try and jump over one of the assistant producers. I think that's what that, that's what really got them cross. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, isn't it funny, though, when you ask any child, actually, usually a child, but if you ask an adult as well, if you could have a superhuman power, they most people say... I want to be able to fly. I want to fly. Yeah, it was me too. I mean, I believed when I was a child, I sort of believed I could fly. I just believed I didn't really ever want to do it when there were other people around. Um, you know, so I was on my really? own, I would sort of go and fly. Yeah, and I used to have lots of dreams about flying. Um, and uh, it is that feeling. It is that feeling. It's a suddenly, yeah, I mean, it's, it, like I say, it's, it's emotional. It's totes emotion. You just sort of, you just want to run off. You feel like you've suddenly been released, suddenly been released from gravitational prison, and you're just going to make a break for it before anybody can. <laughs> Would you go into space now? I mean, that sounds. It's a, I know it's a big leap, ha ha. But um, uh, that wasn't meant as a pun. But it's a huge leap from being tied to eighty balloons to fifty balloons, whatever it was. I would love to, to. going into space. Of course, I would love to. I mean, I'd love to experience. Um, I mean, it's weightlessness they actually experience, isn't it? On those um, some of those. Um, well, they call it the vomit comet, I think, don't they? Which is the aeroplane which goes up into the upper atmosphere and then just basically free falls so that you experience for a few, I think it's maybe just a few minutes, you experience what it's like to be weightless. That's how they sort of do all that film, you know, stuff like Apollo 13. They film in those, you know, they filmed in those 
as I say, sort of vomit comet planes. I'd love to do that. But then, of course, soon we might all be able to go, um, you know, on Virgin Galactic, mightn't we? And sort of, well, and Elon Musk you know is what? not is not far behind, is he? With his sort of, uh, we'll be shuttling to the moon soon, won't we? I sort of don't want us to, though. I just think haven't we haven't we done enough damage to this planet? That's getting a bit deep, but I just I do wonder, you know, why, why should we go and ruin somewhere else? I know we're going to mess up the moon, aren't we? There's just going to be rubbish then, sort of lying on the moon, sort of empty crisp packets, and uh, yeah, no, it's a depressing when, thought. When, <laughs> when you were a child, though, and and thinking that you could fly, I, I, what you do now. <laughs> I know, it's, it, but you all the the magical books that you write. So I will talk about all the acting and the comedy and all of that as well. But the writing that you do and the 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 retelling of the fairy tales and everything, that's done through it's done through a child's eyes. And I know you were writing them for your kids, if I'm right in thinking yeah. that you were writing them for your kids. But I love that you have this incredibly childlike view of life, and I hope you. I hope all of us have that actually still in us. That's one of the greatest things. That's one of the things I love most about um, writing for children. So, yes, you're right. I mean, I started writing these books for my children. I've been writing a book for each of them. So my, the first book, um, The Night I Met Father Christmas, was for my oldest son, Jackson. And then The Boy Who Made the World Disappear was for Harris. And this one now, um, The Day I Fell Into a Fairy Tale, was for my daughter, Lana. And and um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is them in the stories. I mean, they are the main characters in the stories. But it's also me. And yeah. I think one of the one of the joys about sort of doing acting for a living is you never really you never really grow up. I mean, we are treated like children actors. You know, the, I, I'm do, I'm doing some, a filming job at the moment, and you are. I mean, people take you to walk you to the toilet. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> I'm not joking. You say you say, please, can I go to the toilet? And they decide whether you can go to the toilet. And if you can go to the toilet, they walk you to the toilet and they wait outside until you're finished. And then they what walk you What do they you think you're going to do? I have no idea. But I can only think that throughout history, actors have sort of gone to the toilet, forgotten they were acting, just sort of wandered off and done other things. Or, you know, <laughs> I can only imagine it's there for good reason because they have to pay these people. Um, you are told when you can have your food. You know, you're told what you can eat. You're told when you can, you know, you are literally treated very much like a child and it and it's um it's a it's a very childlike existence you're basically paying let's pretend don't you i mean we dress it up as you know <laughs> dress it up with as much research as you like but really at the end of the day you're sort of pretending to be somebody aren't you so um it's a very yeah it's a very childlike existence and i think the challenge of acting and I think probably writing too, certainly the writing I do, it's just not to grow up. It's not really to ever get really, it's not to ever really forget, um, to forget the joy of really, of just playing around. So it's a great, writing the books is just a great opportunity really to, for me to, to reimagine, uh, not even reimagine, just remember, really remember and put myself back into the age that I'm writing for. So at the moment, you know, it was nine for, for Lana's book, I really remember. That. I really remember that so well. I remember being a you child. Remember being nine. I remember being nine. Yeah, I mean, I remember. I remember. I really specifically, I, like a lot of kids, I don't remember much before seven, but from seven onwards, you can remember quite a lot. I really remember my year of nine turning to ten very well, and I remember in incredible clarity everything from sort of thirteen onwards. It's that's very. It's very interesting. You know, we sort of jettison a lot of ourselves at at seven and then we jettison a lot again when we sort of turn 15 16 but if but you know we hang on to some of it don't we we remember you know what we do you remember you said you remember about nine to ten is there a specific thing that oh, you yeah, remember, no, I remember do you the mean dens that I, I used to play i was really really lucky in that we lived in a market town on but we lived at the very edge of the market town on on the and it, it was just out, out, it was just fields out the back in Cheshire, growing up in sort of rural Cheshire, and just fields out the back of our house. I remember every inch of those fields and every the dens that we used to build and the stream, and that was my kind of little wind of the willows sort of territory out of the back. And I think um, I think I I owe so I think I owe it a lot to the fact that we. I'm not sure it would be the same if I'd grown up in a city. 
You know, I don't know if you'd have the same... Because so little happened. <laughs> it's quite easy to remember the few things that happened. But that's um, lovely. Actually, for now, I suppose, as well, when we have to... I, I know you say you're filming, but in the first lockdown, there you were in Morocco. And that, that's why I dreamt of being in Morocco with you. I mean, I, I wasn't there. You were there with your family. Bit weird if I was suddenly there. <laughs> but but <laughs> that would be very strange. Um, uh, but, but, but you probably... That's what helped you appreciate that i don't know maybe that i'm being too sort of deep about it it is i kind of i think well it's really interesting when you get to some sort of i lived in london i love also i love cities and i love central london and i think it was the it's coming having as i say sort of grown up in the countryside just then going to really wanting to be go go to the city um and you know about uh, five years ago i moved out here sort of rural gloucestershire so sort of done the yeah, so so that's um, that's really interesting. It was once I moved here that I started writing the children's stories. That's another thing. Oh, that's right. Once oh, so I gosh. moved back into the countryside, I think that's when I started remembering my own childhood and becoming more connected with that. Um, but where we were in Morocco, this is a this is a I mean quite an amazing story. So um, sort of rewinding, you know, you know, just sort of rewinding the videotape slightly from where we are now back to last March. Um, uh, sort of about, it was about the middle of March, I think. It's about the sort of, um, I don't know, eleventh or twelfth, something like that. We were, we were thinking, oh, this doesn't look good. It looks like if we want to get a holiday, and we better go now. So we decided to go for <laughs> with these friends of ours. We decided, look, let's just go for a ten day, ho- you know, ten day holiday now, and uh, you know, get some sort of satchels. We put this, put this holiday, and um, headed. <laughs> headed over um, to Morocco. And literally, the day we arrived, Morocco locked down because they were way ahead of the UK in terms of um, lockdowns. Um, and Morocco is just sort of close to all its borders and close to the thing. And we were there for four months from when we arrived. So I had sort of a 10-day holiday with this family that we were going to share this house with, this other family, and they had got three kids. Um, and we had our two youngest kids with us. So there's, yeah, five kids, four adults, five kids. We were outnumbered. And we had this most amazing experience because... You were all together? We were all together in this house. Yeah. Oh, my word. We were all together in this house for four months. Yeah. I mean, it was quite strange. Like, it was like living in a sort of... A bit like a commune, I suppose. It sort of made me think, actually, I understand communal living a lot more, a lot more than I did. There's a lot... You know, it's a funny thing. Parenting is quite, it's, you know, parenting's full on at the best of times. But it's sort of, when there, when there are lots of children and lots of parents together, it somehow gets easier. And you sort of realise, oh, yeah, this, is, must, this must be how people used to live in sort of communities with kids running around. And then you'd, and you'd all be sort of vaguely responsible for whatever children there were. And I suddenly thought, oh, I suddenly, you know, have, you have a new perspective on that. On the whole thing. It's quite an extraordinary thing, though, for four months to be living in a different country with... I didn't realise it was with another family and escaping from from here. Yeah, from so we escaped. Oh, but it was, it was odd, really, because, of course, um, Morocco's uh, policy, really, was just to sort of lock everything down and nobody could leave the house. And that didn't really change much over the four months. Whereas back home, you know, things were sort of opening up in... In May, in May, sort of things started to relax a bit, didn't they? And that, so that was an odd stretch, really. It was a kind of there was a point where it didn't really matter much where you were; you were all going to be doing the same thing, just staying indoors. And then, yeah. And then there was a, that sort of odd period where you know things were sort of opening up in the UK, but they weren't really opening up in Morocco. I mean, I think probably, I mean, nobody's really known, have they, what the right? Nobody's. I don't think anybody's yeah, got much no, idea no, what yeah. the right thing to do is, but. Um, it's interesting, you know, it was very interesting to be in a country like Morocco where they they decided to lock down very, very early and there were therefore very, very few cases. That's what was, that's what was interesting. So when did you get back to the UK? Middle of July. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, on a repatriation. I mean, it flight. sounds rather lovely if I, if I, if I'm honest, it does sound, it sounds quite magical that you were there it was in Morocco magical. in the yeah, heat. And... It was magical. 
It was it was uh, it was wonderful. There was a couple of funny things about it. One was we had the most incredible weather in the UK, and it was terrible in Morocco. I almost <laughs> almost one leads <laughs> the other. I know, but almost one leads the other. You see, I think I think that's, that's something to do with um, I don't know what it is, the polar jet or whatever. But it, if it's they say in Morocco, if it's if it's good in Morocco, it's bad in Europe, and vice versa. So so you you guys had all the good weather, which was we it was actually sort of I think it actually snowed in Morocco in. In April, something was sort of unheard of. Snow, yeah. I mean, we actually had hailstones and snow, yeah. In in, um, we were just outside Marrakesh. It was very unusual. You see what we're doing to our planet? No, I said it no, at the beginning. No, I told oh. you. I told you. Um, yeah, but it, it was a it was an amazing experience culturally, as you can imagine. You know, it's very because you suddenly sort of you stop being a tourist and you and now you're a sort of local um, after some point, and that was that was really. Moroccans are amazing. Moroccans are so friendly and funny, and we've got a lot in common actually. And that that um, British sense of humour. The Moroccans have a very very strong sense of humour as well. Always, always joking and um, very, um, you know, very uh, present. I suppose very kind of, you know, very in the moment and very um, stoic. So it was quite, you know, it was well, quite a good British, place yeah. to be culturally. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I could talk to you about science all day because I don't understand it. So you could tell me anything and I just say yes. I really have ne- never got science, so I apologise. But but the, the funny side, I do get and I love all of that. But we, how did that that switch happened when you were at university because there you were going off to do science and then suddenly you were, was it through Footlights? Were you in Footlights? It was, yes, I was in Footlights. So I was, um, I was studying uh, natural sciences, um, which is a sort of what you, uh, so I went to Cambridge and you don't really study individual sciences at Cambridge until your sort of final year. So everybody studies natural sciences, which is basically you pick three sciences and then sort of each year you drop one science and then you specialise in your final year. So I sort of specialised in physics and then stayed on and did a PhD in physics at the Cavendish Laboratory, which is a fantastic experimental laboratory, um, which has the most extraordinary history. It's where, you know, J.J. Thompson discovered the electron. It's, I mean, all all kinds of amazing, uh, amazing scientists have... Uh, been based there and it's got this sort of incredible history and it does incredible research so I kind of joined a a research group um, that were um, studying what's called mesoscopic physics so when you have really really small things that are about the size of atoms that's micro physicists call that microscopic Um, and then everyday objects like my teacup here we call macroscopic but you can imagine as you get small, you know, as you start with a teacup and you get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So you've got a few hundred atoms. That's what we call mesoscopic. So it's sort of on a, there's a weird, um, 
you know, sort of uncanny valley between macroscopic everyday things and micro, very strange microscopic um, atom-sized things. And that's called mesoscopic physics. And I joined a, a, wow. a group in the semiconductor physics. I joined the semiconductor physics group where we were studying mesoscopic electron systems. So it's basically um, electrons confined to small spaces, not as small as an atom and not as big as an everyday object, if you see what I mean. Um, and it turns out there you can see some amazing uh, what we call quantum mechanical effects, which is, um, as as most people know now, um, the, the atomic world is very, very different to the everyday world. Um, objects don't behave. You can't even really use our language to talk about how those how objects the size of atoms behave our language is so designed to talk about the size of everyday objects that it doesn't really work and but we have got mathematics to describe it and you can see some of that really extraordinary quantum quantum mechanical behavior in um in semiconductors basically so i was doing a phd in that and it was i mean really really fascinating really really interesting doing these amazing experiments which more or less in, involved as i was saying they build these i mean there's about three floors in the cavendish laboratory and they would build these enormous thermos flasks um that would they'd be like just the, the height of the thermos flask would be about two stories within the building and then you'd, oh my goodness! Yeah, and then you'd have a rod, which would be another two stories worth of rod, <laughs> that we, that you could. So you would go up into the sort of into the eaves of the cavendish. You'd pull out this huge rod from the middle of <laughs> this enormous thermos flask, and you'd put your tiny little semiconductor device on the end of it, and then you'd spend all night lowering it, sort of centimeter by centimeter, into the thermos flask because the liquid at the bottom of the flask was at such a low temperature that if you put the um, imagine if you lowered the rod too quickly, the difference in temperature would just cause an explosion. So you would just sort of lower this thing overnight until you... Not with your hands, not with your hands. Nah, well, and... you know, you'd be, yeah, I mean, you'd just, yeah, I mean, you'd be oh, pushing the rod down in sort of by hand, yeah, measuring a centimetre and then lowering it a centimetre. And then you'd, so it would take hours and hours and hours to get to get your sample into the bottom of this giant um thermos flask where the really really cold helium-3 helium-4 was and then you would pump it all off you pump off the helium-3 and helium-4 to get the temperature you'd have a little thermometer in there so once you could see that the temperature was a few tens of thousands above absolute zero you'd then start making measurements you could then you know do all sorts of things start making measurements see what was going on in your little sample um oh my word it was so exciting and you'd suddenly see you'd have this graph paper and this you know, sort of, you know, electric graph, sort of drawing out what you were discovering in that sample. I mean, really, really. And you'd know you were the only person in the entire world that could see that at that moment. And that was something new that no one had ever seen before. It's a very sort of very, very exciting thing to do. Anyway, while I was doing that, <laughs> while I was doing that um, uh, PhD, I got really interested in comedy. I got really interested in I thought, and I'll try and I'll audition for a play. And I auditioned for, there was a production of Julius Caesar. Um, and, um, I mean, amazingly, in the cast of Julius Caesar was David Farr, who sort of then went on to write The Night Manager. Um, and uh, it was directed by Gareth Edwards, who now produces um, Mitchell and Webb. Um, and Upstart Crow, in a moment, with Ben Elton. Um so I auditioned for this play and I got the part of Cassius and Cassius in Othello. So Cassius is the one whose handkerchief gets stolen by Iago and then planted so that Othello thinks Desdemona's having an affair. And, um, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe Othello, maybe Iago steals Desdemona's handkerchief and gives it to Cassius. That would make more sense, wouldn't it? Um, but anyway, whatever, however, however it works, I would come on stage as Cassius, trying to um, impose my authority on the scene. And people would just start laughing. And I would go on night after night. <laughs> I'd learn my lines so carefully. I'd take it all so seriously. Night after night, people would just start involuntary laughing. And there'd be gales of laughter as I was saying my lines. And I remember thinking, I don't really know what's going on here. But 
<laughs> but I wonder if I could turn this... I'm obviously a disaster as a classical actor, but I wonder if I could turn this... I wonder if I try... I'm trying to act serious and people are laughing at me. I wonder if I did that in comedy, whether people would still laugh. So then I um, joined the Footlights, you know, the comedy, uh, the comedy society. And sure enough, I found that the more serious I took something in a sketch, the more people laughed. And that was the beginning of it, really. That was like the germ of the whole thing. I thought, wow, I could... It was just as simple as it that. Was, isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> but it is. and But but what an incredible thing to do, because a lot of actors <laughs> who would be laughed at would then feel, I mean, broken-hearted and, and yeah. feel that they'd done something so wrong and would go away I and loved do it. the full... I, that was the other thing. I loved being laughed at. That was the other thing. I really loved that feeling of people laughing. Um, but of course, to begin with, of course, I had no controller. I didn't know. I didn't know why it was happening. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> but I sort of. But now I thought, well, if I can, there must be something in this. There must be something in acting things as well as I can. But you're letting the situation be funny, and then hopefully, by extension, I'll be funny. And that's basically, I've been just trying to do some version of that ever since. Um, but the stuff that you've done with with um, with uh, Zander, you uh, with Alexander, that you are um, you you don't do ya ta 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 comedy. It's it's straight, but it's very 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 funny. Well, I mean, Paul Merton said something once, which he said he said that we were the only double act with two straight men, um, and I and I think <laughs> I think. He's right. I think he's right, actually. I mean, again, I thought, I thought at, the, at the time, I thought, that's a bit cutting. <laughs> but then I thought, actually, he's actually put his finger it's exactly. A it's a compliment. It's a huge it's compliment. Actually what it, it's actually exactly what it is, is we both play straight. We don't, we, usually there's a funny man and a straight man, isn't there? But we both play straight. We both play it completely straight. And the situation is, or the character is the funny thing, or the situation is the funny thing. But all we do is we just act it as well as we can. And that's funny. The fact that we're trying to... We're trying to <laughs> the fact that we're in this... That's what we love. Yeah. That's what we love as as viewers. And also there's that thing, because obviously I I've, I know you in real life as well, face-to-face in real life. And, and you have... You and Alexander... Both, I remember meeting him so many years ago <laughs> through a mutual friend, and I just remember think laughing, and and it's the same thing. You have that thing, you have that sort of that that little naughty grin. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm going to go back to you being quite childlike. Yeah, that naughty grin that you're going to put a whoopee cushion under somebody's yes. seat. Both yes. of you seem to have that. <laughs> so even when he's singing his very serious songs, or or a twinkle, you know, he, whatever, yeah. there's that twinkle. And I do talk about that twinkle with with people. And I think that some people just have it, and it's naughty. And I think, and also, I, so I love naughty humor. But I mean, you know, I love postcards from the, the seaside sort of humor, carry on humor. But I love, yes. I I love the sort of the twinkle and the little the little grin and and all of that. But you're also incredibly polite, yeah. and I like that in humour. It doesn't. It's not. Uh, it's not about irony. It's not about being cruel. It's not about being rude. You. It's just funny. It's proper laughing in your tummy. Funny. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. Zonda makes me laugh like nobody. We. Uh, I, I, there's something that was a very very joyous moment. Um, do you know? I. <laughs> I sort of stole him from. Um, Another comedy partner. I, this is an awful, awful, awful thing. But I was sharing a flat with Jez Butterworth, who is very well known now as a playwright who wrote Play Jerusalem. Um, amazing, amazing playwright. playwright. Wow. Um, and we, as and Jez was in a play with Zander. And then Jez said to me one night, Zander's doing, um, you know, Zander's this very funny guy who's in this, this play that I'm in. He's going to do a show at the, I think it was the Etc. Theatre in Camden. I mean, to call it a theatre is quite a, you know, it's quite a leap of imagination. It was a sort of, sort of a, just a sweaty black box in, you know, in, in a basement in, in Camden. It was, it, 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 it really... It was one of the, it was, you know, some theatres, you know, some fringe theatres have, there's a particular smell that you get when you go into a pub. It was one of those fringes, that yeah. particular smell where you think there's been no window open in here for about 15 years and people have been performing very sweaty fringe plays in here. It was that kind of, 
you know, it was absorbed by all the sort of black curtains and everything. Yeah. We sat in this tiny theatre and Zander and, um, and his double act partner, who was David Wollstonecraft. Now, do you know who David Wollstonecraft is? I don't, um, no. He, he, he is the man who wrote Spooks. Oh, my word. Yeah, so, but, but, but at this time was doing sketch comedy with Zander. He was actually, he's a very gifted impressionist, David Wollstonecraft, funnily enough, the man who wrote Spooks. Anyway, so we are watching David and Zander on stage, and it's the they are brilliant. But I sort of fall in comedy love with Zander, and I start sending him. This is awful, 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 awful. I start, I start sending him send little him? sketches, like sort of like sort of love letters, but just sort of writing a little sketch. Oh, I thought you were going to send you sent him flowers <laughs> and uh, sent him <laughs> bottles of the, beer. Well, I was just you know no, I'd send perfume. him little you know ba do little sort of little sort of. Um, notes with like a, a sketch you know here's a little sketch we might perform you know that sort of thing um and anyway he succumbed eventually i said look why don't we do you know why don't we do a show why don't we do a show at, at edinburgh at the fringe festival he said okay and then we started rehearsing we were rehearsing on the king's road and we decided to go out at lunchtime and buy some comedy props and i really remember very very clearly that we bought a rubber chicken I don't remember what we thought we would do with the structure. <laughs> we had our arms... Always funny. Always funny. So we had our arms full of comedy props. And I do remember Zander was carrying this rubber chicken. And we were walking down the King's <laughs> Road and David Wollstonecraft came towards us. And I said to Zander, you have told him, haven't you? He said, no, I haven't, I haven't told him. And David, <gasps> David came up and said, hi, guys. What are you, what are you up to? <laughs> and we said, oh, no. oh, nothing. We're just sort of just doing a bit of shopping, just sort of... Wandering around, <laughs> and he looked. I remember him looking at the rubber comedy chicken. Sanders <laughs> goes, "Yeah," he said, uh, "Yeah, good." Sanders, do you think we might do any? You know, you think we might we do any more shows? And Sanders going, "Yes, yes, I'm sure we might. You know, we might do something." Anyway, we just off. Um, yeah, we're just going to go for a little while. It's the most awkward. Can you imagine? Oh, awkward, it's like awkward situation. Stealing somebody else's stealing partner and is caught, no, no. Caught oh. in flagranti. I mean, the oh. only thing that would have been worse if he'd walked in and we were actually doing a sketch with the rubber chicken. That's the only thing <laughs> that could have been worse. But we were we we, did, we didn't even tell him then. That's what made me laugh. We didn't. Don didn't even say then. Are we doing a show? Does he know now? I think he may still be waiting at the etc. Theatre, <laughs> drumming his fingers. You know, writing the odd script for Spooks while he does it, of course. But um, yes, drumming his sort of fingers on the tabletop, thinking, wondering when Zan's going to turn up. Oh, Gabby, isn't that awful? Yeah, it is. It's a cruel... All is fair. All is fair in love and war. All is fair. No, but I was saying all these lovely things about how polite you two are and what gentlemen you are. Forget it. No, forget it. Obviously not. Especially not that Alexander. Goodness me. I always ask in this podcast, what makes you properly belly laugh? And I think think you sort of answered it already, that it's it's Alexander. It's Alexander. And when we get together, it's his... There's there's an odd... um, it's it's a very very lucky thing that that when we're together we we sort of we're such different people but but share a um, a lot of the same values and have very very sim you know have the same sense of humour basically um, and and Zada do I've I've always found it so hard to keep a straight face when he does anything it's just extraordinary I'm doing this podcast with him at the moment and he. And it sort of puts on this voice like this, it talks like this. I've listened, it's very it's funny. It's really, I mean, but some of the, <laughs> and I, I'm the one who's laughing all the time, it really annoys me. I'm always the one who's, who's laughing because he does some sort of ridiculous sound like this when he's sort of talking. <laughs> and I'm trying to do a character, you know, I'm trying to do a character with, with very, with a limited degree of success. I sort of, my problem is I keep sort of just forgetting that I'm a character and just talking as myself. And, <laughs> and his problem is he goes bored and bored into this sort of very bizarre, bizarre sort of adenoidal uh, pronunciation. And he, and he, this is one of the things I really, really admire about Alexander as a performer is he can, it's very hard to go big as a performer. I'm I'm quite good at going small, and I know my I know my limits. But going big, I find very difficult. One of the things I've always loved about Zander as, as a performer is he goes when he goes bigger, he gets funnier. As most people, when you go bigger, you it's not as funny. Um, 
And the bigger he goes, the funnier it is. I mean, and he will go to, I mean, he literally knows no limits. He literally knows no limits to how big I love go. that. I love I, it. See, I, I love, love it. that. It's very... Um, Makes me... But you two make me thing. properly, properly <laughs> laugh. I, I mean, I, I just some your old sketches and stuff that you do. And then I was listening to your podcast yesterday because I was going to be chatting to you today. Mm. And I, I was doing the same thing. That, and it's, it's slightly embarrassing that when I see you, I just giggle. You used to live around the corner from me. And if I drove past you, I giggle <laughs> like a stupid child. And then you very kindly came on another show recently. And I just, you walked in and I giggled. <laughs> and if I ever see Alexander sing, which... It's so cruel because he can really sing. I I laugh because he makes me and I'm. It's a horrible thing to admit. And I, I we were somewhere together and it was a charity event and he was singing and I started laughing and I felt so guilty. That and he just wonderful. said, "I don't mind. I don't mind." Oh no, but it's no. no it's it's amazing. he's a proper it's singer. There's nothing better. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but, but I, I love that. You do see that when you when that some people, it's a funny thing, you know, because you might be in a situation where you're not really going to particularly say anything funny, but yeah, I mean, you literally say something like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I couldn't find a parking space," and people start laughing <laughs> because <laughs> because I think See, I'm they. <laughs> They are they are conditioned to think, you know that you know, and that, that I've always find that a wonderful, you know, a wonderful thing. I, I I love that. I love that when people are sort of already giggling, um, because you know they they've seen you be silly for so many years. I mean, why wouldn't you? You know, you've seen somebody be be so sort of silly for years, year a year yes, upon but, year. But you can do all your 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 straight acting. So you do the um, you know, you fly out to the Caribbean, you live there for six months, you do a. a the number one drama on television that nobody, you know, when you left, everyone was devastated. Oh. But and and it was it was charming. It was absolutely. It it still is very charming. Well, thank you. Uh, but drama. it is funny. But I'm also being, you know, that's that's the thing. You know, I sort of it's you also funny. funny. It's also it it's also there's something funny um, that that I I can't do anything about that. <laughs> No, but laughter is, is, I mean, I always say that laughter is the best medicine. I really, really believe it. And I think in, in the world as it is and everything, we all need to laugh. But but I get the thing. I, I When you said that you went out on stage in Shakespeare and people just laughed, and I was saying to you, or well, most actors would be upset. But, but actually, I'm so pleased that you've given me the opportunity to tell you that you don't have, I just have to see your face and I laugh. Yeah. And I mean that. With deep love, I really, really do because you're one of those people that makes me laugh. Uh, you and Alexander and Rob Brydon, as I said, who I'm speaking to this week, and I still can't believe that people think you're the same person. That's weird. You're very different. We are. Di- we are different. I, I, I you know, I'm. I, I, oh, I, I've been mistaken for Rob Brydon for so for so long. I, I, um, I, I have to think that we do look that there has to be some sort of similarity. But I'm, I'm delighted. I'm, I'm always delighted, and I, and I used to. Rob and I, we don't do it so much anymore. But we used to always pass on the compliments. So if somebody came and gave me a compliment about him, I would text him, and I'd give him a brief description. Oh. You know, sort of woman, you know, mid thirties, looked slightly harried, possibly you know, family shopping, really enjoyed Marion and Jeff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> And you do the same for me. We sort of it sort of became after a while, after and then and then there became a point where I think for both of us, you can check this with him when you speak to him, but for, for both of us, I now just pretend I am him. I think it's just sort of easier. And I will happily sign things with, with Rob's <laughs> name and and sort of take any kind of compliment going, you know, you enjoyed the trip, really. Oh, that's 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 excellent. Even, even do a slight sort of oh that's wonderful. There we go, there we go. Sign that for you then. Lovely, lovely chatting to you. Oh my god, you sound like him. Yeah. That's really freaky. <laughs> And, Does um, he do you as well as you can do him? I imagine better. I mean, Rob is a proper, you know. He's a brilliant. Oh, yes, he is very good. Don't you love the chat? I just that's. I think that's one of it's my fantastic. absolute treasured possessions. And my little, you know, digital versions of the trip. Oh, oh. I find him and Steve together. Yeah, with mm. you, with all of you guys that that you all that you all know each other and that you've all been uh, in this extraordinary business for the same length of time, and you and. Um, you all have that same gift, that 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 laughter gift, which is a gift. Um, do you, there, it seems to be that there's a 
in maybe back in the 80s that people were very, no, we want this and we want this and we're going to fight because we want this and we want this. It seems much more now that you're very supportive of one another. I loved it when I started doing comedy, I have to say, because I did do a little bit of sort of straight acting at college and I loved it. As soon as you went to the Gilded Balloon and you met the other comedians, it sort of felt like you'd found your people because it was so supportive. Oh, wow. Everybody, comedians are very, very supportive of one another. Um it's a remarkable thing. Didn't used to be, though. Didn't used to be like that years ago. There was a cynicism about there it. There was in the 80s, I think, but in the 90s when we when we all sort of started. So, um, you know, I was, you know, the same time as the, sort of the League of Gentlemen and, you know, Matt and Dave and, um, and Steve, uh, Steve Coogan, you know, we were all around sort of at the same, at the same time. And we were all trying to do a similar thing, which was really, we were trying to break through with character comedy, which wasn't really popular at the time it was stand-up comedy that was the thing and we were all part of a sort of you know a, a group of people trying to kind <laughs> of trying to get our sort of um toe in the door really so there was there was a lot of i suppose i suppose it's partly that i suppose it's always been quite um it's always been quite fraternal the the sort of comedy community but also i think as you get older I, again i'm probably going to speak for myself but as, as you get older you get more appreciative as well of um the opportunities that you've had you get more appreciative of other people's talents you get just generally you just get an idea of how lucky you are don't you as it goes on you sort of think oh wow when i was younger oh, i sort of maybe took yes. this for granted slightly but now i realize what an extraordinarily fortunate position i've been in and and you develop a real fondness for your cohort, I think, for people who've been through the same, you know, been through the, been through the same experiences you have and sort of come through the same, um, you know, come through the same school of comedy, you know. I, can I make a suggestion that all of you, what we really, really need um, is all of you coming together to do something together. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? It'd be lovely to do. Oh, um, yes. It'd be lovely to do, I mean, and to do something where we're all acting, I think would be great. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it'd be fun to do a sketch, you know, big sort of gang show type sketch show, wouldn't it? But it'd be also, I'd yes, also but, love but to do a drama, you know, like a kind of, yeah, character yeah. piece. Um, I think that would be wonderful. There used to be things like that, didn't there? There was like things like Marple and stuff back in the day used to have a sort of extraordinary cast of characters, didn't they? Um, but you and Steve and Rob and Xander, yeah. and actually you've got to put David Tennant in there as well. He's, David would he's be funnier good. than all of us put together. I think when David decides so to funny. be funny, he's unbelievably brilliant at it. Um, I, do, do you yeah, ever remember that People podcast. Like Us? Well, his podcast is... He, he, yeah, no, podcast. no, 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 he did Your this. Podcast. He was on this with um, Georgia and, and just... He's another... He's like you. He just... I can't help it... But I giggle, and people think it's just yeah, people yeah. think I'm really pathetic. I saw him in in um uh, in a lift. I, I, it was very embarrassing. We got into the lift and we're chatting, saying hi. I started giggling, <laughs> and he went, "You all right?" I went, "I'm really sorry. You make me laugh." And then I just thought, "Oh no, he's gonna." Th it's just, and it's the same thing. It's and I like, like I said, people with funny bones, and I do think there are people with properly funny bones. And he's got them. I mean, you his, have funny bones. His, you have them. His people like us episode, I think was just one of the he plays a voice artist i don't I'm, I'm maybe you know maybe it's available on youtube but if anybody gets a chance to sort of just google it he plays a voice artist and there's this absolutely brilliant i mean i can't really make it funny by describing it but but there's the producer sort of in the studio talking to the voice artist in the booth and sometimes they can hear each other and sometimes they can't and it goes on for about 10 minutes of each of them trying not quite hearing what the other person said and it's day it's all all down to David. So, so funny. I mean, brilliant. Brilliant, man. Well, I feel like that about all of you guys. I really do. And I want you all to do something. And if there's a Let's if there's a happen. part for a, for a stupid female to come in and just giggle at you all, I'd like to be... What I'd like to be is a multi-millionaire um, heiress, American, yeah. New York, Got it. Jewish nice. uh, heiress. Got it. I walk in... And I just have to laugh. And then you can kill me. And that's fine. And I would have been in it. That's a plot. What you've described there is a plot. I think we've got the whole okay. I think we've got the whole thing ready to go. You all, and you all kill me. I don't mind. And I laugh while it's happening because yeah, I would just. Um, uh, you're a joy. You really are a joy. And, and still um, uh, the fact that you don't know how to 
uh, tie a bow? Did nobody teach you? Um, how well, to tie your laces well Did- i never uh, i was ta- i was taught at school obviously uh, people attempted to teach me when i was at school i just couldn't ever get the hang of it and then my father who who was a, who was um you know my father was a, a polytechnic lecturer you know he was also anyway it turned out he couldn't this is the story he he couldn't tie his laces either and he said he took me to a side one day he said are you having trouble tying your laces and he said i can't do it either this is how i do it and he showed me this sort of bunny ears technique <laughs> Which is what I've been it's doing ever cheating. since. It's cheating, but it's what I've been doing ever since. It works a treat for me. It works for other, and I can only imagine that going back for generations and generations, ever since we've worn shoes with laces, that people in the Miller family have been quietly taking the younger generations to one side, saying, "Yeah, you want to try this bunny ears technique? Cheat, cheat. This is how you do it. Cheat. cheat. Have you done that with your three? I, I'm doing it with my son at the moment. Who? who cannot tie his laces. I do think it's a genetic no. thing. I do think it's a genetic thing. Yeah, so I'm teaching him. Yeah, my oldest son, funny enough, managed it no problem. But my middle son has got my exactly my problem of, um, you know, whatever. I don't know what it is, but I, I, it literally defeats me every time. I know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to sort of, it seems insane to me. You're supposed to, to create a bow, you, you, take, you make one bow, and then you're supposed to loop the other bit around somehow and pull it through some hole to make another bit. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. Just make two bows, tie them together. Easy. You sound like my husband. We have this conversation because he does the bunny ears and I just think it's wrong, wrong, wrong. I wouldn't let him teach our girls that, so no. They have to do it the proper way. I, do you know, I will forgive you that because you just properly make me laugh and for that I thank you deeply and you're just completely wonderful. So thank, thank you, you very Debbie. much for taking lovely part in this. So to lovely you. to I chat. I do love your podcast. It's great. I mean, I, I think it's a podcast unlike any other. Your chats, I don't know how you do it, but you sort of, I think you start in the middle and then you work back to the edges. That's your technique, <laughs> isn't it? But anyway, it's I'm been lovely nosy. chatting to you. Thank you so much. Bless you. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening. And coming up on the next episode is the very gorgeous Vicky Patterson. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thanks so much for your amazing reviews. We honestly read every single one and they mean the world to us. Thank you so much. <laughs>